they arrested me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot, hot rod Lincoln. Lincoln. And look, everybody, we are back after a one-week hiatus here. The 5 to Go podcast is back on the track once again. I'm Doug Turnbull, joined by the daily host of the Von Hessler Doctrine every day on WSB Radio and on iTunes and uh, the WSB Radio app and, and Facebook and all yeah. these different places. Eric can't get Von away Hessler. from it. We, we can't, but we, we managed to find a way to do it last week. And we're also joined by the one, the only, from the great Elliott Racing family, Dawson Disco Dano. Elliott, how you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm doing great. How are y'all doing today? Wonderful. Uh, how was the I'm show, man? Long. How was the show today, Eric? I mean, how, you, you always step off of three plus hours of radio right yeah. into this. I mean, was it? Did, did it, it was, give you I some felt momentum? good about it. I, I feel very good about it. Yes. Like a bump I draft. Feel, I never remember anything in the show. I just remember how I feel after a show. <laughs> I feel really good. So I think it was a good show. And isn't that ironic for then the people that there have to be people that reach out to y'all that, that latch on to things you say uh, and you're like I don't even uh, I don't even remember I saying out that when I say <laughs> see you can always see, that's that modern living through, that's uh, modern living through chemistry exactly <laughs> except I've been doing it since the old days hey, there you go there you go there you go uh, he's just, so he's just happy to be here <laughs> as am I so for those wondering what happened I mean I thought they would love Bristol why weren't they here during Bristol week well Bristol ran on Monday last week. Mm-hmm. Eric had some appointments at the beginning of the week. I went to Dallas, or oh, actually yeah. to Fort Worth, for a Bridgestone tire test. They, I got some media email, and they flew media out to test Bridgestone tires, and I tried to break it to them. I don't – that's not my expertise as far as covering the roads. I do yeah. racing, and I do this. But they let me do it, and so I wrote about tire safety in the Atlanta <laughs> Journal-Constitution, used yeah. their expert. Hey, everybody wins. And so I was gone for that. And then we get to Friday, and it just it didn't work out last week, so we apologize. But that means we have run two short track races, Bristol and Richmond, since the last time we were on the air. And that means that Kyle Busch has now won three races in a row, which makes Kyle Busch the second three-race-in-a-row winner we've had this season. But we've still had like five different winners and nine races overall. So it's it's really been kind of an interesting start well, to the when, season. When guys. Harvick was going strong, we were saying well, the only thing the only the only guy out there that looks like he's gonna catch him at all would be Kyle Bush. Now they've done that. So yeah. yeah, but guys, I still say it's too early in the season. It don't matter. Yeah, Kyle I agree. Bush pretty much said, hey, there's a long way to go also. He's mm-hmm. made some comments after it. And he also said that winning Talladega is about as easy as winning the Powerball, which he almost yeah, won he, Talladega he last still, year and he's won he it before. He still miss eight races and be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's – so, and I, I want to say before we really jump in with the, the five main things I jotted down that I wanted us to cover is – with the dash for cash being there for the Xfinity Series, no cup guys in the last two races, and then an Xfinity, the highest finishing Xfinity driver that that qualifies for it wins the hundred thousand bucks. You had Ryan Priest mm. uh, winning at Bristol, and then you had another Gibbs car, Christopher Bell winning at Richmond. But the racing just seemed so good these last two weeks, and I think it's just short tracks, man. Right? Yeah, I saw the Xfinity race at Bristol. I didn't see the Xfinity race at uh, at Richmond. But I thought the Xfinity race was quite good, the one I saw. Yeah. They, they were getting too wide. And I feel like there was this perfect mixture, Dan, of the old Bristol, quote-unquote, which, by the way, I went back and watched some really old Bristol, like 1968. Mm-hmm. There were multiple grooves then, all right? Yeah. Everybody talks about the one-groove Bristol. I remember some multi-groove Bristol as well. But, Dan, I felt like there was a good mixture in both uh, the Saturday and Sunday races, well, Monday, I guess, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday yeah. that we had at Bristol, of the of the old and the new Bristol, it seemed like the old groove would be preferred, and then as the race wore on, it would widen out. 
Yeah, I still think that the racing at Bristol was way much better when it was just asphalt before the concrete and they tried to make it a two groove. I think you're right. I think whenever they ran both races, it worked out extremely well because it got the upper groove rubbered in and the lower groove rubbered in. And it ended up when the when it came down, when the smoke cleared at the end of the race, it ended up being awesome races at Bristol. Do you know when it went from asphalt to concrete? Was that a recent thing or or does that something that happened while you were still racing dan i have no idea no that was that was after me i quit going in 2000 or quit changing tires uh 91 and and quit going somewhere around 2000 hmm. but still go up and go to the races some but that was after our our day okay. well back in you know when people talk about the the old bristol they mean that uh they loved when that one groove uh, made guys get mad at each other, and you had it was it was a fireworks night of anger between the drivers. And but in reality, you looked at the middle of those races; it was just a conveyor belt down on the bottom groove. It wasn't all that interesting. It was later in those races when you up. had to go and you're moving people around, and four of the guys you moved know that they deserve to be moved, and then you move a fifth guy who says, "No, I, I was racing and I I should have been there." And then you have the fighting afterwards. That's what people loved. It was a bit of yeah, the, but, uh, wrestling. Yeah, but this thing. deal came down to the bump and run, and and the thing about back then was. Nine times out of ten, you could do a bump and run because all you had to do was tap them a little bit, and it just kind of moved them up the asphalt. It did not spin them around. Mm. Occasionally that happened, but usually it was the bump and run, and that's what it was all about. And and if you held somebody up, they were going to doggone sure let you know. Yeah, and, and that's and the bump and run came into play. I mean, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson did it to each other. Bubba Wallace got up there and led some laps without pitch strategy. Mm-hmm. That was cool. And then, and then the handle completely went away, right. and, and he finished like 16th a lap down. What I loved at both the Richmond and the Bristol races is the same thing I love about the Atlanta race. It's that cars could come and they could go. At Richmond, it was all about tire strategy. Late in the run, the guys like Joey Logano that had saved their tires, who, by the way, Joey Logano won stage one and stage two at Saturday night's racing. Those were his first stage wins since Phoenix in 2017. And, and I mean the spring Phoenix race, I believe. Mm-hmm. So so that just shows where the 22 team has been, and, and now he's gone over a year without winning. But people could come and go. Eric Almirola would just light fire at the end of the run, and then the guys that had burned off their tires would fall back. Coming and going is what I think people want to see, even if the field gets yeah. spread out. No, I agree. If somebody can dig themselves out of a hole, mm-hmm. they, they go forward. It's better racing. No, I, I agree with that. I love short track racing for for that reason. I think uh, just to go back to Bristol very quickly. Yeah, sure. Uh, I went to a. I've only only been went. I've only gone to one Bristol race in person, and that was back in that was right in the middle of the fever races where everybody was angry and it was really exciting. Yeah. But the one that I saw, Jimmy Johnson. And I can't remember who put him in the wall, but he ended up in the middle of the track shaking his fist at the, at the cars oh, nice. that went by. You know if you've and done something to Jimmy Johnson, then yeah. If it would get under Jimmy Johnson's skin, that's what was exciting about it. But back to actual short track racing, yeah, the fact that you can dig yourself out of a hole. And I like that's why I like endurance racing, because you have to put the whole race together. You mm-hmm. can't yeah. – so it, it, I like the idea of you know people leading. And then I remember when you used to watch a race – the guy leading, you would almost be sure wouldn't win, 
because yeah. when you get out there in front real early, you're hesitant to do the things that you need to do to your car to keep up with the track because you're leading, and everybody behind you knows they have to change, and they end up doing that to you. So the yeah. excitement of working that out over 400, 500 laps. It seemed like true. Yeah, but look how all of this has changed. Well, over the years, it used to be that you manhandle the car. You manhandle the car for four or 500 laps, and and whoever was the toughest man when the night was over was usually the winner. Now it's the smartest. You just lay back and, and bide your time. And I liked it the way it was. I liked it the fact that the, that the toughest won. Yeah, I think now that the cars are just so much more different to drive and the drivers are so much more polished. Everybody is a total professional driver yeah. by the time they're a certain age, it seems like. That that sort of uh, it's when, really just made everything the same, and that's that's where that when sort of Jeff ends Bodine up. brought in power steering over at Hendrick, that's oh, when it all yeah. changed. <laughs> <laughs> that doggone power steering. So it real really interesting group of racing, and then we go to completely the opposite here, Talladega coming up, and I want to jump to one of the things I want to relive with you, Dan, here about the ins and outs of how this happened. But in 1985, a team that you were the mechanic on and going over the wall, changing tires for the number nine famous Coors Melling Racing Team. Uh, Bill Elliott was able to make up almost two full laps under green, and by winning that race, it qualified him to win the Winston Million for the first time. So I want to know something. That's a 2.66-mile track. That means he was almost six miles off the pace in a way, or five and a half miles off the pace, Dan. How how much faster were you all than the rest of the field to be able to daggum make up all that time and draft to do do things? I mean, how much faster was that car really? And did you have to even hold back when you finally got to the lead just so you they wouldn't think you were illegal? I mean, what, I want to relive how y'all managed to make that comeback under green. You know, it's one of those things where we had worked extremely hard through the well through the last couple of years before that we had worked extremely hard came up with a good combination. Ford gave us a good car in 80, 85, you know, the 83, four, five, by the year 85, you'd kind of worked out some of the bugs in the car. Then when it got to the 87 body change, they worked it out even better. But the 85 car was a really good car. The, the air dam on the front, the way the spoiler worked on the rear, the roof line, and we worked out the deal on how the engine got air to it hmm. in the cowling. And it wasn't anything illegal, but it was just we had gotten that worked out. And we were really fortunate that we did stumble across a few things that put us ahead of the pack. And the car was extremely quick. And there wasn't anybody that day that could run with us. But the bad thing about it was you had to show your hand to win the race. You had to show what you had, and that was what you didn't want to do. And so, but it ended up paying off because you got the Winston Million after after the Southern 500, right? It, it ended up paying off, but you worked your butt off to do it, and it lost you a championship at the end of the year because NASCAR fooled with you for so long trying to find out what we were yeah, doing. Yeah, that's what I figured. I was, was wondering how y'all managed work, to lose that championship. It's because NASCAR – it was the end of the year, and 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 you just missed by a few points winning a championship. Yeah, I, I was I was going to ask if uh, the inspections got really tight in that period they of time. They did. Yeah, they that... did. And and the Fords all there was there were a few Fords anyway, and they all got penalized because of us. And I hate that. Bud Morris but, probably but still we uh, just he pissed at you from the grave. Hard. So. 
and and that year is when we experienced burnout because we we did work so hard that year and there were so few of us mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting because now the i mean with the free passes and the stage racing and things like that you can catch up and we've seen drivers make up a couple of three laps but not under green not not without yeah. a tire strategy now you could do the tire strategy they were a guy staying out or fuel strategy and they're stretching their fuel and sure guys will unlap themselves but the cars are just too similar now and back then there was big time disparity let me you know? let me, clar- let me clarify this if you were at these events and you saw this you had to know at that point in time that this wasn't anything but a divine deal. And and I don't care if you're religious or not. You will be after those deals. <laughs> it's kind of like Michael Waltrip's wreck at Bristol. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh. And then, and then the next day he's in church getting saved. I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, look, 1985 for Bill Elliott, 11 wins, 16 top fives, 18 top tens, and 28 races, 11 poles. As well, and no and championship. Winston, and no no championship. Champion. He lost to a, by 101 points to Daryl Waltrip using, I think, the same point system that really had been in place since the mid 70s, which was about 180 or so points wins a race. So he was within. It really was. And those, if you condense the points now, it'd probably only be like 20 points or 25 points in these days. But obviously, standings. NASCAR decided they had to bring you back to the pack or to bring the pack back up to you in in when you were so dominant. They were just trying to level the playing field any way they could. Right. I learned a lot of how they did that after that, but we'll talk about that sometime. But, um, <laughs> I, I learned I learned a lot in how the system worked. Yeah. Well, well, they have to put on good shows, and so that's they don't. It. Yeah. You know, you know, part of it's the show, and that's what you got to understand. The worst thing about it is, is you showed your hand. You showed mm-hmm. all the cards you had in your deck. Yeah. Well, it, and it's there still was nothing in... else left to give for all the rest of the races. And they leaned on you all year long to keep you from running away with the show. And I thought that's what hard work was supposed to be for, is to reward reward you for what you're doing. Until you're too good at it. And your fan base. (laughs) And your fan base. And your fan base. Well, that, that certainly was a defining moment. I think the number one thing people probably think of with Bill Elliott in his career is the 1985 season and then coming back from almost two <laughs> laps down to win Talladega. And I, the, the thing that made me think of it was Mark Martin talking about it on yeah. Twitter the other day. Yeah, but the thing to me is coming back to Darlington, you were a fourth-place car at Darlington. You knew that before the end of the race, and then things just started happening. That whole year to me, like I said, it was a divine year. And if you don't think it was, you, you weren't there. Uh, you talk about the dash for cash, Xfinity. I haven't yeah. seen anybody win one yet. But do they do, have they won? Has anybody? Well, the, a driver wins it each week. The highest finishing. Oh, that's right. Oh, it's, you don't have to win the race. Yeah. So okay. what happens is the race before the dash for cash, the top four finishing Xfinity regulars become eligible for it. Okay. And and then. Yeah. So okay. so uh, going into so Talladega, so they don't do that thing where you're uh, where they're tossing money out of the back of the truck like back in the old days. No, they, I yeah. think there's some dollar bills that fly in Victory Lane. Okay. But uh, and it went back to Nationwide actually came with that program and then Xfinity has continued it. Mm-hmm. So so Ryan Priest was able to win the race and the Dash for Cash. But even if he'd finished second, he still would have won the hundred thousand. And that was important to him because Ryan Priest got investors and people that he knew to back him to buy those. Four, three or four races he ran mm-hmm. with Joe Gibbs Racing last year, and he won Iowa with one of those. Now that he's got the hundred thousand, yeah, he said he was going to celebrate. He's also going to pay back his people <laughs> sure. and some of his own money that people that he. I just like that old thing, didn't I? Remember, I remember Bill Elliott being behind one. Was like they're throwing money out the back of 
the truck as the car is going right. around. I guess that would be the that would be the one at Darlington, right? Yeah. Dan, where yeah. the money in the truck and I always that this- would be that would be the Darlington or Charlotte because that was the first Charlotte was the first time I'd they brought a Brinks truck in had a million dollars in yeah. the first time I'd seen a million yeah. and pretty neat to see. I thought they, they should, didn't throw it out, but yeah, <laughs> I always just throw it out the back of the truck and then let the crew, whoever gathers the most off the track. Uh, that's a good idea. Get, <laughs> now, now, Dan, I remember a time from Gresham where we tried a, a very laissez faire gathering of prizes. Remember dropping the Easter eggs out of the helicopter? Yeah, that was my wife's idea, and that was pretty sweet. I'd, I'd not seen that done before, and she got the idea to, to drop the plastic. These are plastic eggs, and uh, they had prizes in them, and Lined all the kids up out there, the helicopter flies over, drops all that stuff out, and the wash from the props just kind of spreads that stuff out. And I had brooms ready to pick up what was left, and after about five minutes, there was nothing left. No, and here's where it went wrong, Dan. So we they had to get we they had tracks officials or stewards keeping everybody back so kids didn't get pelted in the head with the eggs. Yeah. But then the parents were going out there and the older kids, you know, to get yeah. and and that it was supposed to be for like six year olds to run yeah. around and get them. And then the parents, you know, the the helicopter parents, no pun intended, mm-hmm. came and sort of ruined that deal. I just made that the money, the flying money, and your yeah. idea, Eric, made me think of that. <laughs> that was fun. It was fun to announce that too, by the way, up there with a. It was still a sweet deal. Something. It was something that I'd never <laughs> seen before to see all the people running in there and trying to get these eggs and they're blowing everywhere and it was just neat to see Uh, that's awesome so i want to talk about uh something else some big news that came out at about 9 30 or so on on monday night or last night as we are talking here on a tuesday and although it hasn't been officially announced and won't be until tomorrow the word is is that Cambridge, Wisconsin's Matt Kenseth is going to drive the number six car and select number of races this season, starting at Kansas in place of Trevor Bain. They have not said why. I, we assume it's about performance and mm-hmm. Kenseth wanting to come back. But it, this this is one of those left field deals, like Carl Edwards announcing his retirement before the 2017 season. It's in a way a left field deal, like Dale Jr. just out of nowhere last May saying he's going to retire. We thought we'd have a whole season to process that instead of two-thirds of one. Uh, Eric, I'd like to go to you first because uh, I see the look on your face like, wait, what? I didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I did not know that. You're actually breaking <laughs> so, news for so, me. But, it, but it, they haven't said which races. They haven't said how many. And they haven't said anything about the future. But it's a number six Ford Roush Fenway Racing, and he'll be splitting that time however way it's split with Trevor Bain. Now, I uh, what I worry about is the equipment there. I mean, Roush just did not seem to be able to get a whole lot going on. You know, Stenhouse has had some moments this, this year where uh, – where he steps up there, and yeah. they're they're obviously great on plate tracks, but or what we used to call plate tracks, but in uh, most races, just speedways and and short tracks. How they, I didn't see the race on. I have to, I had to admit to you guys, I missed the race over the weekend. I don't know how Roush did, how the Roush cars uh, did over they, the weekend. They're, they're so, nothing special. And and when you and say Trevor Matt, Bain brought out several cautions of Bristol, yeah. he was involved in some stuff at Bristol. When you when you say Matt Kenseth's going to return, and then you said in the number six. I kind of went from, oh, that'll be great to see, to, uh, you mean he's going to bring him from 16 to 9? Right. So that, and so, so uh, it's a little bit tempered, unless, although there could be some thought that uh, there are so many young people driving right now that even in, in slightly less equipment, a good driver, an experienced driver, might be able to do something 
in this season that maybe in the past they wouldn't be able to. Well, and that's what I'm wondering. So David Smith, a guy that writes for MotorsportsAnalytics.com and does some great analytics analysis. Analytics analysis, wow, yeah. that was really good there. But uh, <laughs> but he does some really great work with the numbers and writes for NASCAR.com also. He said that Matt Kenseth is inheriting the slowest ride that he's ever had in the Cup yeah. Series based on something they call central speed. Okay, and so the number six car is like 23rd fastest. I guess I don't know what speeds they combine to make that number but 23rd fastest in the cup garage is in 2018 is how fast the number six is going right now well so they Dan- might be looking at him as in order to get these cars faster we need better minds and part of that is uh, more experienced drivers in the cars that might be the idea they may be hiring him not necessarily to win races but to help them bring that program back well that's what i'm wondering and so dan what what is how much does driver input go into putting a car together and i know it's been a long time since you've been putting NASCAR race cars together, but do you think that's maybe the move that NASCAR that uh that Roush Fenway is making, or do you think maybe Advocare is really itchy about how Trevor Bain's doing, and they're and they're trying to get Advocare some more push in the six? You know, it could be a little of both, but I honestly believe that this is a smart deal because the program is not where it should be. And let's get to the basics here. Kenseth's strengths are probably the mile to mile and a half racetracks which you're coming up on now his first race will be kansas mile and a half yeah all of these racetracks dover all of these tracks where he has had so much experience and exceptionally good runs and i think if anybody is capable to bring in that car to victory lane it would be him especially the Charlotte and Dover tr- tracks because he has such good records at those at those places. And he made and his I cup think debut that's a smart in Dover. Deal. The only thing I would do to to put that to cement that deal was to bring Jimmy Fennick back in place and make him Prucci. <laughs> now that's something that Jimmy Fennick kinda like Tony Gibson's done this year's step back. He's mostly in the shop now. But this is one that just comes out of left field and it makes it's sort of like when a baseball team just decides they've already They've already given up. Like Trevor Bain's not going to be not going to win the championship, or or the Braves decide early in the season, hey, we're just going to start letting the young guys play, or or let let veterans. Go. I don't know. It, it just but it seems... could be blazing saddles versus the last act of a desperate man because here here you come into a deal where they've got to put something together. As Eric said, they're exactly not cream of the crop, and you've got races that are coming up that are exceptional races especially Michigan where you got the manufacturers up there and you want to look good in front of them. Yeah, I don't know why Roush has been down for so long. But then again, Childress kind of has as well. Yeah. Uh, these are these are racing teams that have been around for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, Childress has got Daytona under his belt. And, right. And, and Roush don't have that. Right, right, right. Yeah, Childress, Although, Childress had the two wins last year, the Coke 600 with Dylan mm-hmm. and Phoenix with Ryan Newman. Didn't Stenhouse win uh, Talladega last year? He won year? Talladega and the July Daytona race. Right, right. Yeah, and so. he sat on the pole at Talladega and right, was fast to the Daytona 500. So, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but he had Danica Patrick, too. <laughs> <laughs> Dan always likes to point that part out. She'll be uh, she'll be watching Green Bay games now after after the Indy 500 a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I'd say something about that, but it, I can't do it on there. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, we don't want trouble. I, I, it's, I, and Dan knows more about this than I do. How, how do programs go? So I understand in racing that you're constantly trying. People are getting better and better, and maybe you get out of sorts for a season 
maybe two, but how do you? Yeah, but you're not you're not privy to the faxes or the emails that come in from NASCAR on the subtle changes that you don't hear about or read about. Right, but why? But when other, I just don't I don't understand how a program like Roush just goes downhill for so. What's it been? Six seasons, seven, something like that. Yeah. I mean, Greg Biffle, who I thought was a really good race car driver, was just sort of swallowed up in it, and then finally, I think, walked away out of boredom. I mean, I, he just there was nothing so, yeah. he could do, you know. So I, it's uh, it, does the does the sport? Yeah, get but it passed? only takes a minute change. These cars are so good and so much in the same box, so much the same as far as drivers and. It's it's down to everything, the car, the driver, the crew, the engine, all has to work. Yeah. You miss one beat on any of these, and you're off a tick, and you're at the back of the pack. Does it, is, is it all possible, though, at the very top, and Roush is Hall of Fame guy, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't doubt his, how great he is and his legend, but is it, does it ever happen that the game changes so much that the guy on top can't keep up? I think look he at the enterprises. It, it, it happens <laughs> that way whenever you remember when the they went off the bias tire to the radial tire, right. yeah. and a lot of the drivers couldn't get used to the radial. Yeah, yeah. You have to have a change like that. Yeah. Well, and, and look, I don't remember NASCAR, Dale, Jar- Dale, Dale Jarrett was just on a tear, and I think they changed the bump stop rule or something, and it yeah. just it took his program forever to get over that. They, they, that changed, and then when he made the change to Michael Waltrip Racing, a brand new yeah. team, and then there was a car tomorrow that came in, and suddenly yeah, there was, was like forty-seven. Yeah. Was like, eh, okay. But I remember it all. <laughs> it all started when they changed that bump stop rule. Whatever, however their setup was, he was very reliant upon it. And he, you know, some teams can turn things around. I just feel like, uh, like if you look at uh, Dale Jr., I feel like Dale Jr. I think that the, I think that the, that the sport. Passed him a little bit. Now, don't jump on me. I think that he was old school on how the driver communicated to the car to to the crew chief, and things changed in the Chad Canal. Uh, uh, Going to Hendrick. Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> all of that changed. But it started with 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 uh, Dale before he got to. Sure. I really feel like sometimes sports. They make a change. The NBA that we see now is not the NBA from the seventies and the eighties. How to shoot the threes, buddy? Yeah, they barely have centers now. Coaches that can deal with that and can change with that can keep their teams up to speed. And I feel like in NASCAR, it happens from time to time where the game changes so much that some people just can't come back. If you look at someone like Dale Jr., he would still have great parts of his race, but he, could, he couldn't seem to put together a full race. And my feeling is... Uh, you, he was still used to the driver tells the crew chief what to do and damn it, you do it because I'm driving this damn thing, and that's the way it is. Whereas someone like Jimmy Johnson realizes, you know what, Chad probably knows what the changes should be more than I do. I'll just drive the damn thing. Well, and he was driving, look, when Dale Jr. had his worst years, he was driving with his cousin as the crew chief. Yeah, it's hard and to it was his cousin's dad that was the crew chief before that, Yuri Sr., Yuri yeah. Jr. And I think they just they had a, yeah. a rapport about them that it was very comfortable right. and – and but what just, I'm just wondering is when the changes is it possible that Jack Roush that something has changed about the game that he cannot get like we were talking about the NBA if you owned a team you'd have to deal with the fact that there just really isn't a position called center that means much anymore. Well, look, Dan. Okay, so that say one thing changes and the organization is a little bit off, but it's off enough that your star drivers start leaving. Okay, Mark Martin, 
Yeah. Wanted to be part-time, ended up with the DEI situation and on and on, Hendrick and so forth, Michael Waltrip. Then you had Matt Kenseth go over to Gibbs. Didn't even tell Jack he was leaving. Didn't have an agent, just talked to Gibbs. Okay, 20 car, done. Next year, Carl Edwards. Mm-hmm. Or two years later, Carl Edwards. It just it kept going on and on. And I think you start losing when – you, when, you when you lose a little bit of speed, then you lose some talent, then you lose some sponsors, and then you lose more talent. And suddenly, Roush Fenway Racing, Dan, doesn't look like the best place to work anymore probably. If <laughs> yeah, but what does that tell you as far as – I know some of the mechanics that work there. And what does that tell you about the organization as far as how structured it is and the chemistry there? I mean, it, I did. it tells you that it tells you that something's wrong. Yeah, that's and, what, yeah. and I've and I have I talked to a guy that works for a different team now, and just we got to talking, and and I've and I've heard from somebody else. I've heard from two different places, actually three different places, and one of them was Jamie McMurray talking mm-hmm. on the record. Okay, mm-hmm. but two other people that were not, and it was a very. I want to say I don't know if harsh is the word. One guy described it as a prison camp. Okay. Okay. Now that may now maybe he was pissed. Maybe he got yeah. fired. Maybe something happened. But if there's an old school way of thinking, which as Jamie McMurray said on the record at, at the NASCAR media tour three years ago, when you screwed up in a race, you got berated at the team meeting right. by Jack or by whoever. The you know they, they, the the whole way to get results out of you was to humiliate you. When you had a situation amongst the drivers where Carl Edwards was very mercurial and didn't get along very much with Kenseth and seemed to clash with Biffle and got to do what he wanted and was treated, and when he got his big deal to extend his contract to put others up, well, maybe that happens in other parts of the shop, too. I don't know. So... It, uh, yeah. We're well, not here to diagnose Roush's yeah. problems. I don't think not Kenseth, as all well in Denmark. <laughs> right. I can tell you that. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, there we go. Good Macbeth reference. So that, that it's just Hamlet. A, oh, that's right. Uh, it is Hamlet. That's that. okay. No, no, I knew that. I it's, just wanted to correct you before Dan did. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and we have reached the Shakespearean portion of the show. All right. So something different here, and this is also about inner team stuff. I don't know if y'all uh, saw. I know Eric didn't see the race, but did you hear about the little scrape between teammates McMurray and Larson on the track Saturday night? They 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 got into each other, and at one point it got McMurray up into the wall, and then McMurray went up and hit Kyle Larson under caution. Hello. Whoa. <laughs> So after the race, Kyle said, I'm sure he was upset. His car got damaged. There was nothing intentional there. We'll be fine. We'll talk about it. And McMurray, who was doing the best he could to make a beeline to the motorhome lot, told ESPN's Bob Pockris that everything was fine. Yeah. So uh, either one, I guess, Eric, I'll ask you first. Just the, uh, rack your brain right now. Can you think of, in your years of watching racing, it doesn't even have to be NASCAR, some great inner team, not just inner sport, uh, but inner team rivalries, guys on the same team that were ticked off at each other that maybe – Stick out. To you me. know, you say you don't understand NASCAR. If you follow Formula One at all, oh, they, they the co-drivers hate each other. Yes. just absolutely. Rossburg and Hamilton. Oh, most they, recently. And it's gone yes. back. I mean, it's gone back forever because there's always one favored driver. There's always a lead driver and then the other guy. And the other guy wants to be the lead driver. The lead driver wants to lord it over the other guy. And what uh, happens when Rosberg wins the championship uh, in Formula One in 2016? Yeah. He's, like, he's yeah. like, I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm not going to deal with this. Yeah. I got my championship. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Uh, in NASCAR, it's usually I'm trying to think of people who didn't necessarily. I, I always felt like there was a little more. Uh, 
a, a little animosity between Ricky Rudd and Dale Jarrett in those days. Hmm. Um, not big, not big, and and neither of them, both hey, of them. Ricky gentle- is an ordinary guy, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah but they were, he was not the kind of guy who was going to go on record. Unless your name was Rusty Wallace, <laughs> Ricky Rudd was going to keep it to himself. Yes. Um, I felt like there was a little tension there. I think that uh, Rudd thought that Jarrett was the uh, – you know the big man on campus when you know he, you know was a a, a great driver yeah. himself. Uh, but nothing. I don't know, Dan. Can you remember? Nothing really yeah. coming to mind. In yeah, NASCAR. Dan, you've been in the garage. Maybe you've seen some things that weren't so widely talked about in the annals of NASCAR history. I mean, some good inner team rally. You were always a single car Elliott family racing team, right? So. Yeah, but it came down to during the time that we ran, there was few multi-car teams. And didn't see as much then, and the drivers seemed to be able to work that out off the track. There are some definitely some instances on the track, but they definitely had it worked out before race time. And if there was something that happened during the race, they were able to correct things and move on. I think that most of these teams where the friction happens is between the driver and the crew chief. And oh, then sure. One of them has to go. Sure. Uh, uh, I think uh, Daryl Waltrip tells a story about he and his crew chief, and well, I can't Jeff remember. Jeff Hammond was was crew chief for a long time. For a long time, but there's somebody else, and he didn't get along with him. And Junior Johnson brought him in and said, uh, "Either you both work here, or you're both fired. So you better learn to get along." And he figured it out after that. But I can't remember who the crew chief was. I know he worked with Waddell Wilson. I feel like he worked with Waddell Wilson at at Hendrick though, because oh. when when Waltrip went to Hendrick, that was supposed to be the dream team in 1987, and it ended up to a point. Dan, do you remember this where Waltrip actually broke off and he was still a Hendrick driver, but he was at his own shop and doing his own everything? I, I, I remember reading that in his biography. Like that, it, it, that dissolved so quickly that it just because Waltrip, I think, is hard to ha- have. Yeah, everybody had their own ideas of how they could better serve themselves, and I think it got down to the deal to where that it wasn't a team effort anymore. Everybody was trying to to work their own deals because. When it came from just the pure love of the sport and money started coming in, then money kind of corrupted the deal. Well, you know, racing teams are so different from other teams because on other teams, you know, Tom Brady's not trying to beat Gronkowski. They're working together. Yes. So, yes, we're on teams, uh, but as drivers, you need to win or have your best finishes in order to keep your job. And once you get out there, it's not so much a team. It's uh, you're on your own. But during the week, it has to be a team. So it's uh, it can lead to friction. And now the maximum number of teams that a specific race team can have is four. Yeah. And so which I think is hard. Which yeah, I think is great. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to have all four of them really. Hitting on all cylinders. I yeah. think it's hard. Hendrick has never had all four teams. There's always been yeah. like the 25 or the oh. five was well, always the five was yeah. just always, it's, it's been it's, cursed since Bodine left. Exactly. Yeah, but think think about this. Think about this. You you come down to the last ten races of the year, and you you're down to probably two cars that's in the playoff deal and. Where does your money go as an owner? Sure. Uh-huh. Where do you put your money? Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt, say, with Penske last year, that Brad Keselowski was getting more focused than Joey Logano. Logano missed the show. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ryan you know, Blaney was, too. Going back to – just to step back to our Roush thing, you bringing this up with the teams, wasn't it the first uh, cup, the, the first sprint, the first playoff system uh, year? What year was that? that 2004. We to, uh, when Kurt Busch won the championship at the yeah, Chase. Yeah, didn't Roush have – 
every car in the chase. He had won. all five in in 2005. Yeah, okay, that's a five a, out of ten. So back that's then. how that's how far the the mighty have fallen. Yes. Just to put a, an exclamation but, point on that. And, and, and Tony Stewart gave the middle finger to all that by winning that championship. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. after all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, who'd you have? Yeah, Martin Edwards, Kenseth, Biffle, and. The fifth car, whatever. Yeah, all all of those guys up there uh, gunning mm. for it, and then yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they ended up so they couldn't figure out where to put their resources. It's more of a curse than a blessing. Yeah. If you have five cars, you'd rather have just a couple of them in the chase so you can throw all, all your money there. You get five. Roush still had five cars until they they had so NASCAR came up with the four team rule a couple of years, and they grandfathered. Roush into it, and then after the 2009 season, right. they had to kind of decide where it was going to go, and that's where the 26 team and Jamie Murray mm-hmm. dissolved, and that money went. But it must be harder, I would think, for a, a, a Joe Gibbs or Penske. Penske only has two, so it's not that hard. Uh, yeah, but but you can still do the same thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can still do the same thing and put two more cars or four more cars in somebody else's name. Sure. Yeah, satellite, satellite. But my point is, yeah. the more the more that you have in the chase. It's probably more difficult because you can't. You have to split the resources evenly. If you have sure. three cars and one makes the chase for the last ten races, you can turn a lot of your energy and time into that one. If you have three cars and all three of them make the chase, that yeah. You, but I've got three happy sponsors. If I got three cars in the chase, yeah, there you I go. Got three happy sponsors, and and I'm telling you. I'm going to find the resources to make all three yeah. work because, by gosh, they might finish one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Well, you look at Xfinity programs. Because we it, saw Hendrick do that, didn't we? Yeah. You know, I know that was in some of the finishes, some of the race finishes. Right. Well, certainly. And and look, I, I think if and you look at which teams have more money or which have the sponsor. Like right now, let's just say that part of the reason that Kansas being brought on at Roush Fenway was is Advocare being like, look, you know, I mean, let's face it, Roush doesn't have a ton of sponsors. Roush just announced, by the way, that Ricky Stenhouse's three main sponsors are signed through 2021. Mm-hmm. That team seems solidified. But on the other side of the garage, you have Advocare, who's just since 2015, I mean, full-time, Trevor Bain, almost every race. And I bet they've been saying, hey, what's what's up? You know, Put up or shut up. Trevor Bain won the first race he was ever in in Second, Cup, right? Yeah. Second, right. Yeah. And, but really hasn't really done anything since then. I mean, really, in, in, in the Woods Brother car – or in 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 Roush, I think that he's had his opportunity, don't you? I mean, I'm nothing against think, the guy, I but I think a lot of people would a, argue that yeah. for sure. So it, very very uh, interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, a couple of interteam rivalries that I think of in my sort of recent history of the last fifteen or so years, seventeen years following and covering the sport. I think about you mentioned Rusty Wallace earlier going to the rate. He couldn't get along with the, Jeremy Mayfield, couldn't get along with Ryan Newman. He finally yeah. just had to retire. Okay. So, <laughs> so he, he he finally had to I'll uh, bet you find out he had problems with the guys in the booth over at ABC. I, I, I bet he did. And look Rusty Wallace was only the in the color guy in the booth for one season. Oh. And then Dale Jarrett retired. They put Jarrett up there. Mm. And and now Rusty's on MRN because you know mm. so anyway. So uh so yeah yeah Rusty He was Wallace, a hell of a driver though. Yeah. One of my favorites actually happened at Richmond in 2003 it's one of this is one of the moments that I think I remember where I was when it happened and that was when Kevin Harvick wrecked Jeff Green both RCR drivers who couldn't stand each other in the the Bush series back then right and Jeff Green got out of the car and said well we all know whose fault it was but they won't give him any blame or he he threw him under the bus I mean obviously and Jeff Green was fired that week really out <laughs> Out of the AOL car, gone, and they put Steve Park in, who had just been released from DEI. 
So that that was a – I remember that one really well. What I, the, number was that? Well, Jeff the Green. 30. What, the 30, right, okay. 30. That I was the car that Harvick was supposed to drive if Earnhardt hadn't died. Okay. That was the team that Harvick was being groomed for, and then everything changed and Jeff Green got – it's just funny how they were rivals. and they. You went to a rivals. It just reminded me with Harvick. Harvick and Biffle in the Bush series oh, was the one of the best. The was, choke. Yeah, it was one oh, of the two. best Cause, because they were both competitive on the track. They were always in each other's face, and it was all they were both – you know, young Harvick was usually got in more trouble because Biffle was smart enough in that choking incident. Biffle doesn't raise his arms; he just stands there because he knows he knows that Harvick will knock himself out of the. I think for Harvick got and was it Harvick? I sometimes young Harvick and and young Kurt Busch ah. I mix up, but I remember uh, maybe both of them at one point. NASCAR does this thing when they've had enough, where they make you uh, sign up every week at the trailer. To oh. get into the track, oh. like that's the, that's one of their that. that's yeah. one of their last moves of look, we've had enough of you, and so <laughs> I can I think it definitely happened to Kurt Busch, where three or four weeks he had to go to the trailer, sign in, and all of that sort of stuff. I think it might have happened to both of them. Uh, Harvick, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, and Matt Kenseth—they're the only drivers in recent memory. The major frontline drivers that have actually been suspended from a cup race. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the deal with Carl Long and his engine back about nine years ago or so, and the drug suspensions and stuff also. But the right. ones where they've been suspended for conduct are different things. Mm-hmm. If, if then those guys, mm-hmm. big Kenseth is a surprise. The other three, I'd say, I not so much. somebody could write actually a good book if they're a good writer about Kurt Busch's career and when he got into that because NASCAR made him feel it. But NASCAR also made sure, not made sure, but they put in there to make sure he didn't completely fall out of the series. Oh, sure. Because what about the what about the Ricky Rudd, Brett Bodine? They were in the trailer so much, they just put Brett on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He's a pace car driver now. now Dan, Dan, you've talked to me off the record. I never knew about Ricky Rudd and Brett Bodine. Did, do you know how their fight, and they weren't on the same team, right? So how did their rivalry even spark? You know, I don't know how it sparked. I just know that I saw too much of it that I didn't want to see anymore. And um, it really was, to me, kind of, uh, it was embarrassing to me, just, just the fact that that uh, the way it always ended up, usually after every short track race especially, because they were like magnets. You could You could always depend on them being together before the race was over. I always thought being somebody who was born in uh, the Northeast, I some, well, the way the Bodines were, were both of them, I mean, all, all three, by the time, the first two, Brett, I mean, Jeff and, and Brett, I, from my point of view, I was like, eh, they just don't like, they just don't like Yankees. <laughs> I mean, that's the way I looked at it when I was a kid. Because um, I don't know, you know, supposedly Dale Earnhardt didn't like Jeff Bodine at all. Oh, they all. had some big time, and they got called. Was that mostly the- now, Dan, because I wasn't watching NASCAR on TV too much then. Was that a, was that starting on the track, or was that more about a personality clash in the garage? Probably all of both, because yeah. I remember what Daddy always told me. There's only room for one rooster in the hen house. <laughs> it's the, the racetrack is full roosters so yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go you're gonna have is, egos and personalities and they're mm-hmm. they're never ever going to get along and all you need is is one little hiccup mm-hmm. and 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 things kind of get at odds 86 it always bothered me because i grew up on short tracks jeff bodine was my favorite sure. driver in 1972 at spencer speedway and you know he's in nascar and there's like oh, everybody hates him <laughs> and there's a fan i'm like why i kind and, of arrogant sure but 
Aren't, yeah. all, aren't all race drivers? Well, I'm sure that Dale Earnhardt didn't appreciate it. There were sort of the friendly rivalries that Earnhardt had, like with Tim Richmond, and mm-hmm. then there's the one where he just wanted to drive through somebody, like with Jeff well, Bodine. I think, well, I think with fans, never really kind of got uh, – my sense was that uh, Earnhardt's uh, rivalry with Gordon was friendly behind the it scenes. It was. I think it was. They yeah. had some, they had a couple of scrapes on the track, and mm-hmm. Earnhardt would take jabs at it, but I think mm-hmm. they had – Big time mutual I think Earnhardt was other. smart enough to know that they could both both stars could rise if they had a rivalry. Was it the Letterman show that Earnhardt went on after he won Indy, and he said he was the he was the first man to win Indy? And Letterman said, Letterman said, uh, "Didn't Jeff Gordon win the first race last year?" He said, "Yeah, the first man." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did say that. I think it was on Letterman or Leno or something. Yeah. And yeah, there's oh my goodness. But and I mean, but the, Jeff then, Gordon did the thing where he dro- drunk milk or drank yeah. milk at the uh, awards banquet after his well, first Well, Gordon tells a story that he was on the back of a truck going around during introductions on a track very early in his career with Earnhardt, and uh, as they went by, you know, there was a bunch of booze or whatever, and you, for Gordon and and Earnhardt just said to him, "You just want it doesn't matter if they're cheering or they're booing." You want them to know who long, you are. As long as they're making noise. As long as they're making noise, yeah. right. Oh, and that's I think a, so. That's a smart way of you know what I do in talk radio. It's, Absolutely. A lot of people get crushed because they can't handle the fact that if you're going to go out there, there's going to be a certain number of people who hate you. If you can't handle that, but more than handling it, you should recognize that that means there's passion out there uh, and certainly. you're doing well. Certainly. And look, look how many memos, voice memos you get in the WSB radio open mic yeah. feature of the app. There's, yeah. I mean, almost all of I hear Ashley trying to listen to him during AM Drive, <laughs> trying to find traffic ones. It's like all Eric Von Hess. It's great. I don't listen to yeah. my, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, please. well, you know, guys, there's one thing for sure. I loved the way Bristol used to be. I love the way Richmond used to be. I wish it were back the same way. I wish Richmond was a half mile again, mm. and uh, I wish Bristol was asphalt. Yeah, because I didn't see the race, and I honestly just forgot that it was on Saturday night. I was puttering around my like house. Six forty-five, Green Black. <laughs> I tuned too. in. I, forget, yeah. I tuned in just in time to see Kyle Busch jump into the grandstands. So oh, I wow. just, I just, I just literally forgot. How was the attendance? Because I couldn't judge Bristol because it was all rain and the yeah, next well, Bristol's day. Bristol's was miserable. Uh, how was the, attendance? Richmond, or? I think they estimated. So they. I saw a number that the grandstands only hold about 50,000 there now, mm-hmm. and they thought maybe 40,000 showed okay. up Saturday night. But in the previous years, when it was a su- the last two years, it was a Sunday afternoon race, and only 30,000 were in then. So they're, right. they had sold out every race between 92 and 2008 mm-hmm. with 110,000 in the grandstands. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, right. So, <laughs> right. Well, but, I mean, they took the stands down. So if they got 40 inside of a 50, then they're, in, they're at least inside their target. And, right? and Richard's doing about, I think it's 30 something million worth of improvement especially to the yeah. infield i'm trying to be positive i feel like it, we've been i've been too negative over I, the I think that they're months. i think that it was okay and the racing was better to kind of harken back to our first subject today the racing was better uh, some drivers attributed that to a better goodyear tire mm-hmm. and you know it just it seemed like at richmond it used to be described as the perfect racetrack and then they had all these races where it got strung out nobody was passing each other and and somebody was dominating but this race truex led 121 laps kurt bush led 98 uh, Joey Logano led 92. The race winner Kyle Busch led 32. So uh, 45 laps led by Clint Boyer. So they there mm-hmm. were people dicing it up front. Logano won the first two stages. Truex had it in hand in stage three. Then all the cautions happened, and Kyle Busch was able to drive to the win. So you know, you know, it's coming and going. It's a better tire. It's, it's as opposed to let's get up on the steering wheel. 
<laughs> Back to your main thing. There it is. There it is. Well, that's what you know. It's, I, I, I did you see the uh, NASCAR hub, the top fifty thing that they the did? The race hub, top fifty drivers. Race hub, yeah. yeah, and uh, they put uh, Dale Earnhardt fifth or sixth, sixth, I think sixth or yeah, fifth. it was something like that. And then yeah. they came down to one and two: Jimmy Johnson, Richard Petty, and I think that's a real hard thing, but. What you're saying, I believe that Jimmy Johnson, I'm not going to say he's better than Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt or even, but the reason he is so good, I believe, or has been, is that he can drive a car that's out of control for 20 or 30 laps until he gets into, gets it back to Chad and gets it get worked out. And I think that he, I think that uh, Jimmy Johnson, for as, uh, you know his model, good looks and everything. Yeah. I believe Jimmy Johnson would have done well in the era of Yarbrough uh, oh, yeah. and those guys because I think that that guy can wheel a car, and that's in all those years where they're being so successful. To me, that's what it was. Is I got to hold on to this thing for twenty more laps before I can take it in and get new tires. And Jimmy Johnson would lose two spots where most other drivers would lose six. Or seven. I think Kale Yarbrough would hand him his butt on a platter. You really do? Okay. Well, Kale yeah, Yarbrough. I think Kale thinks that too. Kale Yarbrough was my favorite uh, NASCAR driver when I was a kid, so I'm okay with that. Talk about one tough man. Now, yeah. That was one tough man. I love the picture that they show of Kale a lot where he gets out of the car and his whole face is covered oh. in grease except for where his goggles were. <laughs> yes. I love that. Hey, so here's something. Here's something about tough men right here. I want to end with something a little more lighthearted before we. This is the fifth of the five to go before we head on into the garage. So and during the Indy race, the Indy race got bristled. It, they were at Barber Motorsports Park near Birmingham. There was big-time rain on Sunday. They were racing in the rain, but it got to be where visibility and standing water were so bad they had to call it. And then they raced at about 11 a.m. Monday. And when they got out for the long red flag on Sunday, Joseph, they, I didn't know they did this in Indy, where they make them sit in the race cars mm-hmm. in the pouring rain or in the whatever. <laughs> and finally, uh, uh, not Joseph Newgarden, sorry, James Hinchcliffe, who drives for the uh, Sam Schmidt, uh, the Schmidt Peterson Motorsports team, he got out. The first thing he said on TV was how he finally just had to pee his driving suit. <laughs> first thing he said, and I've never, I've never heard a driver admit that they did that. And so I just kind of, I don't know. They, whenever drivers get asked what questions they hate the most, it always that seems one. to be right up there. Is do you ever pee your suit? Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good question because I don't think that it's the same mo for every driver. And literally, James Hinchcliffe said, "Look, man." I was driving around for so long. I finally just had to let it go. And he said, he said to the reporter, he said, you were talking to a man who just peed himself, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cool. And so it reminded me, I was trying to think, many drivers probably don't admit that. Um, but I do remember a story about Tony Stewart one year where he won either oh, Sonoma or Watkins Glen, and he got sick in multiple ways yeah. inside of his suit and had to go change before he could go to that's when i knew that tony know, stewart do you know any I, stories about this i, mean, I remember yeah. that race and i remember tony stewart got out of the car they had a golf cart waiting for him and he looked at the reporters he'd won he's he goes see you in a minute <laughs> he got out of the golf cart that's went awesome. away uh then came back but that's what i knew that tony stewart was a better champ man than me because i think if i knew that i had done that in the car i think i would have come in second and just drove, <laughs> just drove into the garage. Not drive into the bright lights, but uh, that's the kind of uh, he, he wants the win. I understand that. But he had the flu. Yeah, I just won't beg you to interview the guy that has to clean up the car the next day. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. That's and that's what's funny. And so James Hinchcliffe told a story about Carlos Munoz, who used to race for Andretti Green Racing in IndyCar, and how Munoz they were they put him out on this long, long yellow flag. 
And finally, Munoz, he was radio into his school, like, okay, look, I, I, I'm going to call this thing red so I can get out and relieve myself. And and finally, he's like, okay, guys, I'm doing it. And so and so he did that. And then the very next lap after he peed himself, they, they called the red flag. And so, but the team made him clean the car afterwards. And so Hinchcliffe said he was fully prepared for the Sam Schmidt team to. I mean, I'm assuming it's just something that's happening when you're involved in 500 mile races. Forget yellow flags and red flags, and you know if. If you get to 250 or 300 and the urge is there, what are the odds you're going to be able to – and you're bouncing around and sure. you're – you know, so but it's I just – to me, and also I think on in the in the, in the the dead of the summer is the – probably not so bad because you get out and people expect that you're going to – you know, that your suit is going to be – Well, also you're sweating. I would think yeah. that some of that takes care of itself another yeah. way. But uh, – and also my brother, you know, used to play football in college and he played rugby and – and and he and they showed this meme one time several years ago of a Mississippi State player relieving himself in the bushes at UGA. <laughs> it's kind of like an fu to UGA. Yeah. And and Steven said he really doubted either that that player was worth a crap or that it really happened because he said when you're playing your adrenaline is so mm-hmm. high yeah. that it's actually hard to. You know, it's like a switch is flipped, and it's hard to actually do that. So I, I don't know. Well, Dan, it's like when you do shows. When if you're sick, you don't feel sick during. If you have an hour yeah, long yeah. show, you don't feel sick during the show. As soon as it's over, you go back to being normal. Yeah, and you feel like, sick oh, again. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, Dan, did you ever have to clean the car up after Bill? <laughs> you know, this is. I don't know where you got this question for the last of the top five, but you're gonna have to tell me about these questions beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to surprise you with that, but I, I just thought it was interesting because because drivers always say they hate that question, but then I've never heard it answered. Okay, you know, I never hear them actually say. I just always do. assume, you know, if you're doing anything. That's just hours. too much information. Well, that's that's probably a good way to do it. Well, Talladega's coming up this week. It's going to be a dice roll, but I think it's going to be cool to see what teams have an opportunity to run up front that that don't speaking, normally get. Speaking it. of Talladega, do you remember the race over there that Jimmy Spencer? spun around the car got up on its nose and spun around and came back down on its wheels it blew the windshield out and the paper ran a cartoon the next day that <laughs> said uh, he's coming down pit road and he radios in he says give me uh Four tires, gas, a windshield, and a clean pair of shorts. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> I would think there'd be a few uh, yeah, clean shorts moments yeah. out there uh, for yep. sure. But one, one thing I wanted to mention is a lot of people, I think, feel like uh, Chase Elliott, this could be the race for him. They've said that a bunch of times, but Chase, got, Chase did not have a second-place car back Saturday at Richmond, but he got his eighth career runner-up finish. And guess what that ties him with, Dan? It ties him with um, Enzo Ferrari. I don't know. <laughs> it ties him with Bill Elliott for the mo- the number of runner-up finishes he had before his first win. And so mm-hmm. I think I think now people are like, hey, Chase, man, you know, it's going to Talladega, and he's shown he can run well in the draft. He's also shown that he can make some. The number of runner-ups, some... is it in the same time period, or is it over a different number of years or races or <laughs> – how does that work out in the date scheme? Yeah, one of them, one of them, is, one of them is way more races, but I well, can't remember which so one. So I think Bill won like within we we talked about it on here like within ninety something races, but the number of years is spread out because he ran part time a bunch early mm-hmm. in his career. You know, he didn't run yeah, full time. Yeah, until... you didn't have enough money to run all the races. Right, right. So let's see. He How got many his races first does Chase run? And so, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up Chase's in a second. I think Chase has run about 80 races now because mm-hmm. it was like 70 something at the beginning of the season. So let's see, Bill got his first win in 1983, 
and it was what the last well, race of the year. Started right? in so '86, but I don't know how many races that was. So, so he went 29 and 83, 29, 21, 13, 11, 13, 10, 10 and eight. So almost about 90, 90 to 100 races there. And then for Chase, I'll look that up in a second. But Chase, I think, has run a similar amount of races. Just yeah, a little over. bit, little less. I mean, yeah. a little less if it took Bill Elliott 90. Right. So Chase has run 86 races with mm. eight runner-up no, you're right so, there. So it's, it's coming, and it seems like Talladega could be a good place. Although it's only been running for how many years in Cup? Uh, full-time since 2016, part-time schedule 2015. When you look <laughs> at the, the time period there, and that's what I told Chase one time, I said, you don't know how fortunate you are because it took us seven years, six years to win the first race. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a little. I mean, uh, racing was different. Well, you did have your bigger teams. Different, then. and, and yeah. this is where you get into the drivers. And I'll say this because you talked about it a minute ago. But you were talking about comparing the drivers, guys. You just can't compare drivers yeah. in different decades and eras. Yeah. No, I, I I I agree with that. I just I feel like he would be a different driver, but I think he would have figured it out. Talking about Jimmy yep. Johnson, then. Yep. But um uh, well I had well I brought it up there. How much of a change was power steering? Because you think about uh, when the power steering goes out of my car, I can't imagine driving it all the way home. After and, about three hundred miles, it was very significant. Yeah. So I mean, because that had to be a thing. You looked at those guys like Kale Yarbrough. The guy was all neck. Yeah, <laughs> like a boxer, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, he had was, no neck. He yeah, had a head sitting on his shoulder. Yeah, that's. The rest of it I guess just, I said it backward, but yeah, he he had. It was all. He was just like one muscle or something. Yeah, that upper yeah. upper body yeah, strength. Fire plug. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's definitely hard to compare drivers against errors. One thing I don't like is the comparison of Kyle Busch winning two hundred races in all three series. Versus mm-hmm. Richard Petty winning two hundred in just the Cup Series, two hundred yeah, is a benchmark. But I but it, to me, it's just okay. Cool, he won two hundred races. It had nothing to do with Richard Petty's two hundred until Kyle wins two hundred in Cup. I don't. Now, even all that being said, <laughs> isn't there a long time there at the beginning of Petty's career where there was very there was the, you only had four or five cars that were competing for a win in most races, weren't well, you? you can get am I am I too here. extreme in that? I mean, well, I mean, I mean, Petty Enterprises was light years ahead of almost everybody else that was racing. And very early on in the racing, I'm not taking anything away from Richard Petty. No, it's, I, it's I'm, a fair point. I'm just saying that all the, it is a weird thing because, as Dan says, uh, it's probably easier to drive these cars now, but we've got more parity now. So, is it more difficult to actually win a race? Well, maybe that cancels uh, each other out. I don't know. Just compare drivers across eras. I don't yeah. know. Uh, it's a, another thing, too, I want to do before we bounce, guys, here as we're getting close to that time, is we didn't get to do this last week or the week before, but April the 12th was four-year anniversary of losing Captain Herb Emery. For those that are listening from outside of Atlanta or from different vaults if you're, or different silos, if you will, uh, Captain Herb was a huge influence mm-hmm. on my racing career. Captain Herb is the reason that I know you, Dan Elliott, mm-hmm. because we were on the Allen Vigil Speed Shop for many years, or for many years on and off together. Uh, actually, the first time I met you, Eric, was at an event I was with with Captain Herb. I think at uh, Maggiano's, where Dale Jr. came That's and right. talked to you. Know, that's where yeah. I met. I think I, did I meet you and Larry, or just you there? No, it was I, just me. Larry just, wouldn't have been there. Of course. Well, yeah. there we go. <laughs> Even better. So, well, it, it, I just want to say all that to say we miss Captain Herb a lot. He had just it left an indelible mark on the racing community and the traffic community here in Atlanta. And if my mom had not sent him an email and he hadn't said yes back in 2004 and given her a cell phone number, I wouldn't be here doing this show today. So as he, I he usually was a worked huge at, influence on me. He was a great guy. I, didn't, I was not a very real close friend like you guys were. I worked at competing stations. But we did meet once we met each other, 
uh, we started talking about racing. And so every time that we would be in the same orbit with radio, we would start talking about racing. And he still had, I'm sure you've seen this, he had the autograph book uh-huh. that he had when uh-huh. he was a kid. He would go to Atlanta, to Atlanta and other places, Lakewood, I would, I would imagine. Yeah. And uh, he had all these great... Uh, Drivers, and then uh, there was one driver he showed me because he's a. If you think in the mind of a kid going to races, he got somebody's autograph, and then he went back. He goes, then the, parenthetically underneath the autograph, said he died at such and such racetrack oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It was just fascinating to T- Tiny Lund was his favorite driver growing up. Yeah, and he actually got to ride in a race car. He t- kind of, Tiny Lund would take the kids yeah. around the racetrack with Tiny Lund, and of course the the big story about Tiny Lund is winning the 1963 Daytona 500 mm-hmm. because he rescued Marvin Panch out of a burning sports car, mm-hmm. and and Panch was injured and said, "Please put Tiny in," and then huge Tiny Lund yeah. won the the Daytona 500 for the Wood Brothers. So, but with Captain Herb, I, uh, my whole friendship with him was about racing because yes. that's all we knew about each other because we worked at different stations then. I think that's why he and I hit it off the day yeah. I met him when I was 18 because mm-hmm. he took me around the building and and then we sat down and had lunch and we started talking about and he was surprised that I knew about the 1992 Hooters 500 mm-hmm. at Atlanta Motor Speedway mm-hmm. and of course thinking about an 18 year old now would they even know what the 2008 right. something was so this is right. anyway I'm surprised they let you in Hooters <laughs> I had never been to a Hooters at that point, thank you, and have only been maybe once or I twice didn't think ever. So. <laughs> hey, so Dan, you and you know Captain Captain Herb reminded me he was to me like an iceberg, where where you have one eighth on the surface and seven eighth below the surface because he did so much for people that you will never ever hear about, mm-hmm. and you hear story after story after story of things he's good done, good things for people that you never knew the man to do. He did not brag about anything. And I'd like to say hello to Miss Karen, his wife, and and I just I miss Captain Herb every day. Thankfully, yeah. we have a stretch of road named after him, and so people will be hearing that name for years to come. Yeah, that's right. The Captain Herb Interchange here in northeast Atlanta and also the Captain Herb Memorial Bridge mm-hmm. on Lee Road mm-hmm. over I-20 out where he's he lived for a long time in Douglasville. And I love that it's Lee Road that has that bridge because his middle name was Lee. Mm-hmm. So, hey, and, <laughs> how southern is that? That's it's <laughs> always good to remember that uh, he lost his life while helping other that's people. Him. Right. He had yeah. a heart attack at age 61 and there was a crash in front of his house and he was out working in the yard with his cop buddy and he goes running out there they actually pull the people out of the car Mm -hmm. and then they direct the traffic afterwards so he's being doing community service and directing traffic and he had a heart attack while directing traffic i mean it's i I don't even like to me i'm like i'm so glad that's the way he went and not sitting there because he had a little add like i you know just like high energy he could have never sat in a nursing home i don't even know that he could have retired I told him he'd work till he was 90, and he said, you better stop me if I do that. Uh, let me tell you something. Every time my children want need a loan or need money, I give them $100, and I also say, you just remember, I don't want to be in a nursing home. <laughs> the answer is always yes, but uh, I don't want to be in a nursing home. Uh, that, that's great. Um, and, and, of course, Captain Herb was really a stickler about the Georgia drivers, and I remember one time – he was complaining to go, now listen, you tell that Tony Schiavone, he'd always call Tony Schiavone, Tony Schiavone, you tell that Tony Schiavone that not putting the Georgia drivers in the NASCAR reports like talking about baseball and not reporting the Braves. <laughs> and people don't think of NASCAR that way, but I think the local drivers should still matter. Sure. And and David Reagan, David Reagan, I think I told, we talked about this on the show, David Reagan on Valentine's Day sent Karen Emery 
flowers and a note that Captain Herbert written him after being on the show. And I mean, mm-hmm. the, he, David Reagan still respects Captain Herb years after his passing because when he was a quote unquote nobody back racing legend cars, Herb paid attention to him. Absolutely. And, and I think that was the same all the way through with a lot of the Georgia guys. Bill Lester was another one. He lived in Mableton for a long time and Herb brought him out to the barbecue house for the Toys for Tots uh, uh, charity drive that he did. And and May Bill, yeah, who's let's face it, a black NASCAR driver, very rare, and probably thinking is he's not from the South to come to the South. Like, oh gosh, you know, and, right, right, and, and and a sports car guy, and Herb embraced him, made him feel like, okay, I don't have to worry about that tension. Yeah, you know, Herb, Herb's endorsed me. I'm okay. And obviously, we lost him way too soon. Sixty-one, way too soon. just just too soon. But he did about 120 years worth of work in 61 <laughs> years. So we were honored to know him. That's why we play Hot Rod Lincoln at the beginning of the show because that's how he started his show. And that was my favorite part of the show, was saying Hot Rod Lincoln. Uh, before then so we we just want to leave y'all on like not a somber note but a, a, a sort of heartwarming note right it, it definitely is Poignant, a contrast to peeing in driving suits right yes so, but i think he would have approved that topic well, we so. cover it all here <laughs> we do we do um it's any- a life it's a life celebration that's right that's correct so guys we'll end it at that there uh, for eric von hessler and dan elliott i'm doug turnbull thanks for listening to five to go check us out on itunes and like our facebook page and we'll be back next week after talladega thanks guys